Let's change the world together. Welcome to the Snapcast, the podcast for all nonprofit professionals, bringing you interviews and amazing ideas for nonprofit leaders. Hello, this is Mickey Desai. Thank you for joining in this episode of the Nonprofit Snapcast. I have Karen Graham, who has something of a global reputation in her field these days. Is that fair to say, Karen? Uh, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'll allow it. Please tell us who you are, about your employer a little bit, and maybe some of your history in the field. Sure. I'd be happy to. Well, I am, I should start by saying I'm based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have been working kind of at the intersection of technology and strategy for about 15 years now. I, my current employer is Tech Impact, which is a nonprofit organization that helps both individuals and nonprofit organizations to use technology better and to make positive change in our world. The program that I run there is the Education and Outreach Program, which includes Idealware. And I was the executive director of Idealware when it was an independent organization up until last October. In 2018, we merged with Tech, Tech Impact. So I've been through a lot of change just recently, yeah. but it's it's also an exciting time because I think there's a lot of opportunity ahead to combine the consulting and service capabilities that Tech Impact has for nonprofits with the impartial research and knowledge resources that we create through Idealware. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's several conversations in there that just spring to mind right away that I'm sure we could spend an entire day talking about. Uh, mergers, for instance, that's a huge topic of interest for the nonprofit world. But let's start with uh, something we once talked about via email, which was talking about digital skill sets for nonprofit leaders. What what does that mean exactly, digital skill set, and, and what does the nonprofit sector seem to need, or what do they seem to be missing? Uh, how long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is a topic that is of great interest to me, so I could, I could go on and on about this, but let, let me start out by maybe defining what we mean at Tech Impact when we talk about digital skill sets, mm-hmm. um, and say that there there are a number of different ways that people define this term or different ways to think about it. And so one way is to just think about sort of people's attitudes toward technology. That's an aspect of digital skill sets that's important. So for example, um, our executive director at Tech Impact, needless to say, because we are a technology focused organization, is very positive about technology as a potential solution to problems. He has no fear of technology. He has a lot of curiosity about it. And that sets the tone for the whole organization. And I think that can be just as true in a different kind of organization. You know, say you're like leading an organization that um, educates people about diabetes. So that's not really a technology mission mm-hmm. area but um, but that leader if if she has a positive attitude about technology and sees it as something promising instead of something threatening then that can make a huge difference in the, the organization's effectiveness in using technology to solve problems mm-hmm. for their own organization but also for the people they serve so that's that we call that digital readiness mm-hmm. and um, and that attitude is and the comfort level with technology is one aspect of it. Another aspect of digital skill sets is something that is sometimes called digital literacy or technical literacy. And it's also sort of a a sibling to information literacy or data literacy. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with like understanding 
how to operate IT systems. You know, if I have a high level of digital literacy, then that probably means I know how to use an Excel spreadsheet and I kind of know how to do a, an effective search on the internet and things like that. From, and it can be a real basic level um, mm -hmm. or an advanced level, but, but having some really strong proficiency in using the tools and also understanding data and knowing what questions to ask of data and how to be skeptical of what data seems to be telling you, that those are all sort of part of the digital literacy. Okay. Uh, and then there are two more aspects, technology leadership and technical intuition, which are Ooh. sort of intertwined. And so let's say we're talking about this leader of the diabetes organization again, that technical intuition or technology leadership might lead her to ask some questions about what the constituents the organization serves are doing with technology. How do they use the internet? How do they use social media? How do they use computers? And what does that tell her about how their organization should best be providing information to them? So that's one example. Or, um, you know, are there there tools that can be used in their program and service delivery that would help them to be more efficient, to have a greater reach, to be more effective at what they do and get better outcomes. That all is kind of wrapped up in that technology leadership and intuition. So it's a little bit higher level than just knowing how to use the tools mm -hmm. and having a comfort level with them, but it's really about applying the tools for problem solving and innovation. It's really is a mindset and an attitude that informs an entire culture then. I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, so there's there's skill, but then there's also attitude, knowledge, and mm -hmm. there's resources. And um, so, you know, this ED doesn't necessarily have to have all that knowledge and skill herself if she surrounds herself with people who are tech savvy and who have deeper knowledge of specific types of technology. Do you find that folks are sometimes resistant for whatever reason, that you find folks who think that they've sort of begrudgingly come to the world of technology knowing they need it, but not out of, not out of curiosity, not out of um, innovation? Oh, sure. I mean, doesn't everybody know someone like that? <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering if the nonprofit sector was any better or worse than the rest of us. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, Maybe. I, I think that nonprofit organizations that are smaller have a lot in common with smaller businesses. Um, like if you think of a small family run business, they're probably say, facing some of the same kinds of barriers to full technology effectiveness, mm -hmm. um, limited resources, and one person probably wearing a lot of different hats in the organization or the business mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to manage every aspect of it, including technology, without having an IT department or even, in some cases, any outsourced services. And so they're asking their brother-in-law's neighbor for advice about like what software to buy. So that's, that's not super <laughs> effective. Um, right. But one of the, I think one of the root causes of this also is that um, technology in the past has been very siloed. And so there were tech people and non-tech people. Mm -hmm. And 20 years ago, you could survive just fine as an organizational leader if you were a non-tech person. And when your computer broke, then you would call the IT guy. And it was usually a guy back then. That's really changed now. So, But there's just not that kind of separation because every single one of us relies on technology for some aspect of doing our work. Mm -hmm. That is. I remember true. at my very first professional job, I did not have an email address. 
And we had a, I'm going to use air quotes here, even though it's a podcast, so you can't see <laughs> that, but we had a database, which was an Excel spreadsheet. And it was very simple. Like there was a single sheet and that's where we kept track of employee information and stuff. And so that was kind of my first introduction to using technology in a workplace, but it was so rudimentary that if I had just hung on to that level of skill and not tried to acquire more skills as I, I grew professionally, mm -hmm. there's no way that I could do the job that I have right now. Mm -hmm. I could probably buy groceries or you know something like that that doesn't really require a lot of use of a computer. But even then, um, you know, people who bag groceries are sometimes logging their hours on a computer system right. or communicating with their boss to say, like, I need Thursday off through use of technology. So almost nobody really is exempt, uh, exempt from it. I think that's right. Karen, can you can you tell us about a, uh, some examples of a thing a nonprofit leader might you know, their lives might be better with better use of technology or better technical literacy. What kinds of things can an, an average executive make easier with technology? One of the ways that digital skill sets are really helpful to a leader is in hiring and managing technical staff. So I, I don't have to know everything about how my network works, but if I have either a, a third party provider or a person on staff who is managing that, it helps me to have a little bit of basic knowledge about what the potential risk areas are um, and be able to spot emerging problems on a big picture level, along with the more technically skilled staff that I'm working with. Um, it also helps me when I'm selecting somebody to know what questions to ask and how to evaluate who's going to be a good fit and who's going to be effective in that position. Right. So, so that's one example. Another example is um, in data-informed decision-making. Most nonprofits at this point have some kind of database or, you know, they're collecting some kind of data about their programs or possibly their fundraising. And hopefully they don't just collect that and ignore it. They use it to, um, to evaluate the effectiveness of their programs, but perhaps even more importantly, to make decisions about the, how the programs are operating mm -hmm. in the moment and, and to be proactive about fine tuning or, or course correcting based on what the data is telling them. So if you don't have the ability to say manipulate data in a spreadsheet or be able to interpret, this is more about data literacy really, but sure. being able to interpret what the reports are telling you, then I think a person can be really vulnerable to um, making false conclusions about about cause and effect relationships or about trends and also making poor decisions about, oh, things like um, like representative samples. Uh, it's important to understand how bias can get into your data. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's the data part is um, is really an important part of it. As sure. Well. A third aspect of this is about risk management. If you think about it, in a lot of a lot of technology carries risks related to security and privacy, business continuity, mm -hmm. and uh, you have to think about record retention. There might be a lot of regulations or like legal requirements related to record uh, the way the way you keep your your data, and so an or an executive who really understands 
what technology is capable of doing and what it isn't related to risk management and what kind of resources are required to really keep your data private and keep your IT assets secure, that is going to be an executive who is able to keep the organization much safer and, and reduce their risk. Right. That makes entirely too much sense. So looking at the, the world of small to medium-sized nonprofits, what are some folks, what, what are some things that the medium-sized nonprofit can do to better embrace the world of technology and, 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 and how can they, or is it just a case-by-case -case basis of how technology helps a nonprofit better its mission or you know, better its progress towards its mission goals? I think that there are things that can be done on the individual level and the organizational level. And then there are also some things that need to be done on the sector level. But let's talk about what's kind of in the control of an individual or, or one organization first. Mm -hmm. um, what, what one person can do, um, especially if they're in a leadership position and they have some discretion over how they spend their organization's budget, um, and how they spend their time is to gain some kind of formal training in technology. And that doesn't mean that every executive director should go to coding school. I, I mean, that would be kind of ridiculous, yes. right? But, um, but there are professional development opportunities for people to learn a little bit about technology planning, to keep up to date on the big picture technology trends that might be affecting their organization and the people they serve. So, and that might be as simple as just setting aside a little bit of time every week or every month to read or watch a couple of videos or, or something like that just on your own time. Or it might mean registering for a course or something more formal. It mm -hmm. might also mean becoming part of a peer network that supports each other and has discussions on these kinds of issues. And I myself do all of those things. Uh, one of the things that is, I think, essential for me to keep up to date in the role that I have right now professionally is um, every Friday morning, I set aside a couple of hours that are sacred on my calendar. And I use that time to just catch up on reading articles and sometimes I'll watch a TED talk or a YouTube video or something like that to keep current on technology trends. It's so hard to make time for that, but yeah. the the consequences are pretty dire if if one doesn't. It's interesting to think that that should be a part of a regular executive's, uh, you know, to sit back and read about technology and technology within the sector itself. But I think you're right. I think it helps to to take that look. I'm I'm thinking of individual executive directors that I've met recently, like the lady who runs a, a shelter for troubled teens down here. You know, her day-to-day -day operation on the ground does not really require much of a technological interface, at least not directly as it applies to what she does with those kids. But, One uh, other thing that can happen at an and more of an individual or organizational level is mentoring. Mm. And um, I've seen, I've actually seen a really good example of up, upward mentoring where, well, it was, it was going both ways. There was a, um, a director level person in an organization where I worked years ago who had a lot of expertise in the, the area of responsibility that she had, but knew very little about technology and um, had been in that field for a long time and the way technology was used, it was in marketing and communications. 
the way that technology was used for marketing and communications was very different from when she started her career. And she recognized that she needed to learn more about that. Um, and at the same time, there was a junior level employee who needed to learn more about marketing and communications and was a digital native and was very comfortable with technology. And so they paired up and they would support each other on that. And um, I think that's especially important for executives who maybe feel some sense of shame huh. about admitting that they don't know the answers to questions about technology. And they don't want to be exposed in front of their peers because they're, um, they're used to being experts, right? They're used right. to being admired for their knowledge and skill and their leadership. And so exposing this can feel like sort of a flaw. It can feel dangerous for them. And so having a safe person that you can be completely honest with and learn from can be really helpful. Yes, absolutely. What else should a nonprofit leader then keep in mind in, in terms of not being ashamed to being encouraged to reach out and get the knowledge that they need, even if it's basic stuff? Um, what else can we tell the nonprofit world about mm -hmm. um, being at least open towards using technology in their mission? meeting towards meeting their mission goals? Mm -hmm. I, well, one thing, I could go a few different directions with that, but mm -hmm. um, I want to kind of get back to that idea of sector-wide change. Oh, yes. Too. Yeah. And so one thing that I think all nonprofit leaders have some responsibility to do is to advocate for their own organization to have sufficient resources to be able to invest in not just the technology itself, but also in building their, their digital skill sets. And... Um, and then also, you know, that um, hopefully goes hand in hand with philanthropy becoming more supportive of this and more open to doing capacity building work, particularly around technology. What I've seen is that there are a lot of funders that do a great job with capacity building as far as um, board development and um, just general leadership development and providing funding for strategic planning, consulting, and things like that. But when mm -hmm. it really comes to technology capacity, I don't see as much investment happening from, mm. from foundations and from the philanthropic community um, in the nonprofit's ability to really use technology well. And um, so I think that's something that, that needs to change. And I am seeing some bright spots and some movement on that, but I think we have a long way to go. Sure. You know, one of the things I do when I work with a nonprofit is to ask if they have a technology plan that's embedded perhaps within their overall strategic plan. Um, do you do you think a technology plan is worth it? And if 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 not, or, you know, what would make it worth it? What should appear in a technology plan? I'll tell you what's not worth it. It's spending a bunch of time on creating a technology plan and then just throwing it in a drawer mm. <laughs> <laughs> or in a digital file and never looking at it again. Right. That is a waste of time. But yes, I, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about this. I worked with Minnesota-based foundation several years ago as part of a program to provide technology assessment and planning for a cohort of their grantees. And um, so I actually visited all of them with a a technology consultant. I visited each of the grantees and had conversations with them and did kind of an on the ground inventory of their systems. And then we made recommendations to them and helped them to develop written prioritized plans for technology improvements. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, these organizations were just kind of getting to a baseline level of like a basic standard for decent internet and 
backups and things like that, functioning right. computers. Um, but in some cases, they were much more sophisticated than that, and they were really looking at how to gain efficiencies or, or effectiveness um, in their use of technology to serve their mission. And now I'm kind of losing my train of thought. Wait. <laughs> oh, so followed up with those organizations uh-huh. about a year later and found out that not a hundred percent of them had implemented the plans, but a good deal of them had. And the ones that had um, were getting great benefits from that. And they said, you know, not only did it get them better computers and, and give them a better sense of how to prioritize their spending and having a plan also gave them a better chance at convincing funders to give them grant money to, to be able to enact these plans mm-hmm. uh, because you can tell, and I've, I've sat on a grant review committee as well and reviewed grants for like technology requests. You can really tell when somebody has a well thought out plan versus just saying like, oh, we think we need to purchase this software and they haven't really done their research on it. They don't right. understand their readiness or their needs. Uh, so from a funder's perspective, a, a plan really makes one more confident in making that investment, I think. Sure. And for the organization, it helped them to prioritize and to know what order to do things in, in order to kind of get the low-hanging fruit first and then move on to things that um, they were just in an order that that made sense yeah. for them. Does and the they plan... reported that they got really good outcomes from that. Yeah. No, thank you. I did, does I was going to ask, does a plan need to be even that precise? Can it be just a very loosely defined agenda regarding the use of technology or the acquisition of technology? I think that helps as well. It, there's really no substitute for doing the work of like taking inventory of all of your computers and sort of auditing all of your network devices and your data files and making sure that everything is secure and backed up and so forth. Um, there's, there's no substitute for that, but having more of a high-level discussion about what the priorities are. Um, is, is our priority, for example, stable and secure infrastructure, or is it technology to communicate with the people we serve? You know, what's our, our bigger strategic priority? Right. That's something that can be really helpful, too. And I think really both have to happen, maybe at different levels. So at the board of directors level, you're going to have more of that strategic conversation, and you're also perhaps going to be asking some questions about, um, you know, what kinds of technologies are emerging that open up new possibilities for us, or what kinds of persistent problems are we having, or like what is holding us back that perhaps technology exists to solve. Karen, we're out of time, and there's still plenty to talk about. But real quick, if a listener wanted to be in touch with you, how would you suggest they do that? All of our contact information is at techimpact.org. Mm-hmm. And so that's the best place to start. And then idealware.org has a great deal of free knowledge resources, um, product reviews and planning workbooks and online courses and videos and all sorts of things that can help nonprofits to make better decisions about technology and build their skills. Fantastic. Thank you, Karen. And, uh, uh, and thank you for, for joining us on this episode of the Snapcast. Thanks for having me. 
And to our listener, you can uh, find more information via our website. That's nonprofitsnapcast.org, where you can listen to entire episodes of the Nonprofit Snapcast or join in on the conversation on our Facebook page. Just go to Facebook and search for Nonprofit Snapcast. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again in about a week where we will be having a continuation of this conversation with, with Karen Graham. This has been the Snapcast. Thank you for joining us.